checking my email. Assuming I ever... Okay, there we go. Got it. And we're live! Hello, uh, this is Sam J. Morgenstern, otherwise known as Janusz, and you are listening to the Mongols Podcast. This is my co-host, Robin. Hi! And this is our well-expected guest, Jack Meister. Hello! <laughs> I'm Jack Meister. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me this beautiful sunny day. <laughs> <You're> probably, <laughs> your subscribers are probably most of my audience anyway, so you're always welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so they know what to expect. Yes. So. Uh, with 200 years of background context on the topic. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll probably add on another 100 just by talking. <laughs> Anyways, uh, our current topic, as I mentioned last podcast, is um, some of the very early primary sources that show up in the Mongol Empire, specifically the secret history of the Mongols and the history of the world conqueror written by Giovanni. So with that out of the way, uh, let's get into, um, I believe, the, <laughs> the secret history. The secret history is uh, has a very colorful history. Lots of people debate on when it was written, when it was published, who wrote it, the usual. But uh, it, as far as I know, it was likely written after Genghis kicked the bucket. <laughs> yes. And it was, I believe, written near the Carolan River. And if you believe the 1220 publication, it was likely finished in 1240. Coincidentally, when Ogade finally succumbed to his alcoholism addiction. <laughs> well, as one of the final uh, sections of the secret history is uh, an interesting little retrospective from Ogadai on his reign. Uh, I forget exactly, but it's like, oh, here's three uh, three good things I did that I'm proud of, and then, oh, here's three things I'm not so uh, happy about that I did. And it's sort of uh, a lot of people have argued over whether if that's a, a, po a posthumous thing, like written by his successors, or was this something Ergodai actually uh, talked about before his untimely demise. Oh. Uh, but that, that just adds to the fun of the dating of the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I imagine it does. So, as far as I know, um, the original was also apparently replaced in 1271 by a more official history? Well, kind of, that's... So the 1271, that's the Lu, uh, the veritable record, I think it translates to the conquests of Chinggis Khan. So, uh, it's shared... It's just kind of like a overlap from some of the earlier chapters. Uh, there is a partial French translation. Uh, so it's an overlap, but kind of with, with some different material in there. So it was sort of the topic was revisited. Um, and uh, a lot of those post-1250 works with now with the Toluides from uh, the house of Ergodai's brother Tolui. Uh, so the writers from the Khanates, they founded the Yuan Dynasty, the Il Khanate, which is including, well, Juvain and his milieu there. 
if those works then are kind of written from the point of view of justifying the eventual ascension of the house of Toulouse, and if you believe that the secret history was written in that period, then it's also part of that Toluid propaganda, you might say. It's of course, all, yeah. It's also uh, corroborated with another source that I don't know anything about, uh, the Alcan Debtor, otherwise known as the Golden Notebook. Yes, that's uh, unfortunately lost to us, but it appears to have also been covering a lot of the... Uh, some of the same information, but with some extra stuff, because we have other sources which use the secret history and the Altan Debtor. And we can see, all right, there's some variation here, but the Altan Debtor, like so many other ones, uh, there's apparently a blue book, a Coco Debtor as well, which is also lost, which is sort of a great, you know, shaking your fist, like, oh, what might we have gotten if those ones had... Uh, <laughs> survived about. Yeah, that's a lot of historian. <laughs> Anyways, another n a note that at least from what I've heard and read from actually reading The Secret History and also reading through John Mann's biography of Genghis Khan, uh, it's also short, at least in comparison to other uh, epic poems that's often compared to, such as the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, apparently, a, a, apparently uh, on another note, John Mann also theorizes that one of Genghis's brothers slash half brothers, uh, Shigi, might have been like the official. Yeah. Might have been like the first writer, if not. Well, it is. Part of it is because there's a couple phrases in the secret history, like the way it's written it suggests someone who had personally known Shingus or it says things like oh on uh, after this event we went to X place kind of thing oh uh, which is so there's a couple free like small things like that and people have just combed through the whole secret history trying to find hints and clues and they find little things like that where it makes people think that there was this someone had some sort of personal relationship uh, with Genghis. Uh, Shigi, Shigi Hutuhu, uh, probably most famous to the average person for his defeat at uh, Parvan against Shah al-Din in 1223. Is that Parvan? Yes, that's Parvan. But he was the uh, grand judge Yiki Yoroguchi, I think it is, of the empire. So he was an important figure, an educated figure as well, and one who would have been involved with a lot of the things discussed in the secret history. So a popular candidate, but not universally accepted. Yep. It was also, as usual with uh, Mongol script, um, Mongol documents at the time was written in the Uyghur script that eventually became the Mongol alphabet. And it also kind of had some translation problems, especially after the Yuan were forced out of China by the Ming, because Chinese interest in uh, Mongolian culture actually went down, because they were like, let's not remember how the Mo brutal the Mongols were to us. That's kind of all they remembered, I think, was the <laughs> brutality aspect. Well... 
<laughs> to be fair, the northern half kind of killed his dad. <laughs> there is that. Well, as you say, there the secret history. So later, Chinese, the, the Ming and the Qing, to a lesser extent, they used the secret history as a uh, like a translation guide sort of thing. So people oh. would help learn to speak Mongolian by reading uh, the secret history with like a Chinese translation side by side with it. So that's actually very lucky for us that it was used for this specific purpose and so they didn't go in there trying to edit it and cut out bits and uh, rearrange it and go oh no this this isn't becoming to have written about we <laughs> uh, cut that out so uh, and one of the one of the long reigning Qing emperors I can't remember which one right now Qin Long I think I think he actually did try to do that like oh no this mongolian isn't very good i'm gonna fix this and he ended up putting worse mongolian into it <laughs> okay i, do uh, have to appreciate I don't that. know the specific details around that but i've heard <laughs> variations of that that doesn't surprise me knowing what i know about Qianlong. i i used to study a bit of chinese history kind of working a bit with my ancestry <laughs> i'm half chinese <laughs> And, uh, and so, as as many of us probably know, it's basically Genghis's life in brief. But before that, it kind of, uh, or at least as far as I know, according to John Mann, because I don't remember where I found this in the secret history, but it kind of claimed it made a couple loose claims on how the Mongols supposedly originated. Oh, yeah. Like, Famously, it's uh, they they derive from the. Blue Gray Wolf, Bortecino, and the Follow Deer. Guamural, uh, I think it is. Uh-huh. And they gave birth to the first of the Mongol ancestors. You know, the famous coupling of the wolf and the deer. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the doe can't be at the office today. Why? Because she's banging out a 14 million square mile empire. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next, there's another... Uh, there's another line that comes, so it goes from that, and then it goes through like every generation until you get to Chinggis Khan. Right. And one of the uh, generations, sort of the most famous one, it was his great 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 you know, great grandmother kind of thing. And she, her first husband died, and she had two children, two or three children with him. And after his death. Then, and it varies on translation, but it has either a ray of light or a yellow man c- comes into her tent and rubs his hand on her belly, sort of an immaculate conception sort of thing, and then she gets pregnant, and that's where her next three children come from. Uh, and that, that's also where, you know, the famous story of the... Uh, oh. you, give, you give them the one arrow and they break it easily. But you give them five arrows together, and you can't break the five arrows together. Right. Uh, so, because she's doing that to explain, oh, okay, you all my children, you all have different fathers, but you're still brothers, and you have to be united. That important theme of unity and division, which comes up every succession crisis, it seems, <laughs> with it, the Mongols. It also seems to show up a little bit in step folklore, from what I loosen though. 
Like, mm-hmm. which isn't surprising because, you know, bows and arrows, just part of standard set folklore as usual. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty basic uh, idea, but the Mongols, of course, it has to be with arrows. Yeah. And it can't be with horses, it's going to be with arrows. <laughs> kind of hard to break a horse. <laughs> yeah. Not a great example for, uh, put five horses together, they're invincible. <laughs> so... Uh, it apparent so after the whole wolf and the doe coming together, they're like they begin with uh, Genghis's ancestry, which starts with apparently uh, two brothers, Duk the One-Eyed and his brother uh, Dovan the Clever, who apparently set out to climb a uh, climb the sacred mountains, Burkhan Haldun. That's just pretty universal Mongolian culture, and. Um, they meet a hot girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite the wording in the secret history, but I suppose an appropriate translation. <laughs> and uh, she is with her family, so that's an easy way to start a relationship. <laughs> and they're relate- and the whole family is apparently led by this guy by the name of Coral Tartai the Clever. And they've oh, yeah. been wandering nearby because the people of this region, the Koritun, uh, refused to let him hunt squirrels and birds. So naturally he's just like, screw the hunting regulations, uh, apparently I'm feeling strangely American. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dobun the Elder and uh, Dobun the Clever and, his, and the girl Alan, they Mary after meeting up with the family and arranging the marriage and they have uh, and, and they and they have and they have two sons uh, Belgunute and Bugunte and uh, Dua the One-Eyed also apparently has four sons with another woman I don't know who exactly um, and they basically um, they don't get along with uh, Doban because apparently generational gap. <laughs> I don't know exactly. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the topics that we're going to cover today. <laughs> and they go off and uh, make the clan. And apparently ge- generational divide is not so bad that they... Not so bad because they named their clan after Doban. And sometime after the birth of the two kids, as they're growing, uh, he goes hunting. And he meets a guy cooking some deer. And he gets some deer meat, they share together. And he keeps some of it along the way home. And he apparently trades some of it for a kid. And then... Because... Does slavery exist everywhere in human history? Just about. <clears throat> Close enough. Yeah. And uh, th- and uh, then he, they basically kill him. Uh, and Dobin dies. Not explained. Because it's probably just that far back in history. And that's where, of course, Alan has the three more sons. And uh, nobody agrees on the parentage. And then, of course, uh, Alan uh, does the famous arrow story. Mm-hmm. 
And she's basically, you guys all stick together. They did not listen to her advice, if you're wondering. <laughs> because they're like, okay, we're going to uh, give everybody a piece of land after mom dies, except for Bodochar. Because apparently he weak sauce and we can't trust him with anything. Bodochar Mokog. So the epithet means Bodochar the fool. Or it says in the translation here, Bodochar the fool or simpleton. So he's dopey <laughs> of the uh, Mongol sons. And he and he leaves because well he's clearly he clearly feels unwelcome and he lives off of birds. And uh, apparently people and apparently his brothers don't like him alive because his brother Buchu Katagi goes after him with no success. And then Apparently, some time fast-forwarding later, not sure how much, they go all the way to Kabul Han, who, appear, who appears as the first leader of the Kamag Mongol Confederacy. So, Kabul uh, Han. So, he's roughly dated to the final years of the Lao Dynasty. So, sort of like end of the 900s. And he's kind of the first one of these figures in Chinggis' ancestry that would go, all right, he's probably a real person. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and sort of as, so you mentioned the Hamak Mongol, that brief uh, sort of vague military alliance. Uh, so that's sort of emerging as the Lao Dynasty is collapsing in North China under the Jurchen. Uh, invasion and the founding of the Qin Dynasty. Right. So it's kind of leaving a power vacuum in Mongolia, which we have uh, these relatively minor chiefs, Mongol chiefs, taking advantage of to sort of uh, get some tribes together and start uh, pooling their resources or exercising sort of a loose uh, sovereignty, which they couldn't have done before due to the Khitan garrisons in Mongolia. Right. And the Jin, of course, kept an alliance with the Mongols because at the time the Mongols were still the number two power at the time, but then, of course, they got to number one. Eventually. That's a little later. But Kabul first chooses Ambakai as his successor, and Ambakai makes a relatively advantageous uh, you know, marriage choice for one of his daughters, namely marrying her off to the chieftain of the Tatars. And although apparently that's going to bite him in the back, <laughs> because the Tatars decided, yes, you're a good father-in-law, but apparently the Jin have now put a price on your head, so we're turning you in. <laughs> uh, there's marriage license, marriage alliance, and then there's all the treasure of North China being offered by the Jurchen, <laughs> <laughs> which of course the Tatars never get. <laughs> there's. Um, a famous anecdote on Kabul. Uh, I don't think it's in the secret history. I think it's actually in Rashid al-Din. But so Kabul, uh, because he's sort of rising in influence, goes into or gets invited to the Jin court. Basically, so they wanted him to enter into a tribute relationship and sort of be their vassal. So he goes to the court. There's this big feast, and in good. 12th, 13th century Mongol tradition, 
He gets absolutely hammered. Walks and puts it into an emperor and starts pulling on his beard. Oh no! And his so the guards pull him off, and the Jin Emperor initially what uh, decides to let him go. Hobble leaves the capital, and then he changes his mind and goes, "No, we should probably kill that guy." So he sends some men after Hobble, uh, who ambushes and kills them. Then he escapes back to Mongolia, and it just is sort of at least in the Mongolian tradition. A uh, big part of the origins of the conflict between the Jin and the Mongols, because from here, the Jin are sort of gunning for the Mongols, or at least hoping to break up uh, their alliance. Which brings us to poor old Uncle Ambakai. Yep, who gets killed? <laughs> uh, crucified, basically, tied to a wooden donkey, or nailed to a wooden donkey, sort of thing. Oh, that's brutal. Oh, yeah. I, I don't need to picture that. At least he didn't get nailed to a real donkey. That would have sucked. Uh, all parties involved. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so, after that, Yasugai is one of the warlords that sort of happens because the Kamag Mongol Confederacy is in either decline slash breakup. And, and Yasugai... Um, makes a choice that is totally not going to bite him in the backside later. Uh, he makes a raid on a tribe that has recently married a hot girl named Hulun. That's not going to be important for later. <laughs> and and Hulun is, of course, Chinggis's uh, future mother. And she, so she was so she was originally married, and so she was originally being married into the Americans from her old tribe. I, I think I'm blanking on its name right now at the moment. Uh, yeah, she was from the, Olkurut, which oh. I don't know how to pronounce oh. properly because it's one of those ones which is spelled like totally differently in every transliteration. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> and. Oh. The, and apparently, as she as Americans are being pursued, she tells her husband go, and uh, she gives him her a piece of her clothing so that he remembers her. And uh, they run, and she gets captured, and uh, Nesuke takes her as his as his bride. And uh, Kutula tries to keep the Hamag Mongol Confederacy together after Ambakai got royally killed by the Jin. <laughs> Uh, it does not work out too well, but Yasuge is willing to work with him for now. And he actually fights the Tatars quite a bit. And he captures some of the Tatars, most notably uh, Temujin Uge and uh, Kori Buka. And uh, specifically, Temujin Uge is going to be quite important because uh, Yasuge decides to name Chinggis after Temujin. And that's the last mention of Tamajanuga as well, so probably uh, his, he was sacrificed essentially for the young Tamajan. Born about this time, clutching a blood clot the size of a knuckle bone. Ah, just like a future daughter of his, if I recall right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's... Yeah. And so, of course, um, then a little bit of his, uh, then there's a little bit of his early life, right up until about the age of nine, when he is 
married to, and he's about to be married to Bortea the Ongoods, who is, of course, uh, somewhat related to his mother, Holun. And yeah, the uh, Ongood were, uh, it was sort of, the Olkunud was, no, I think the Ongood was like the wider tribe, and Olun's tribe was like a sub-tribe of oh, the Ongood. I see. That's kind of the relation there. So it's like same larger tribal grouping, but it's not like, oh, Olun was Borte's aunt kind of thing. <laughs> she wasn't that old. <laughs> Maybe like second or third cousin. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably being generous. <laughs> and... Anyways, on the back road, a Yasuge spots a group of Tatars who apparently invite him for dinner, even though he probably should not trust them at this point, judging from his family pattern and from his pattern of fighting the Tatars on several occasions. But either way, occasions, yeah. after a good night's supper, he probably feels something up his stomach and he's like, I've been poisoned. And he manages to make it back to Hulun before he kicks the bucket, and a message is sent out to Temujin, who is actually rooming with Borte at the time, and they're like, Hey, um, Temujin, um, could you get back here for a hot second? Your dad just died. When you think it's your lactose intolerance acting up, but nah, someone poisoned you. <laughs> Indeed. And then Temujin tries to assume leadership of uh, Yesuge's clan, and that does not go well because everybody's in, everybody in the clan is in agreement. You're nine. You are not qualified for this job. <laughs> in fact, you're so unqualified, we're sending you and your entire family into exile. Well, there's also uh, so within so Ambakai, his side of the Mongols, they were from the Tatriot oh. uh, clan of Mongols, and then the uh, Esigai. Uh, ha and uh, Hotela were the Kiat Horjurgen, so it's kind of these two clans. So when Essigai died, the Tatriot wives within his camp kicked out uh, Essigai's remaining family, the sort of the heirs to the, some of the leadership of the Kiat Horjurgen, and it's sort of easy. Oh, they're just nine year olds. Get rid of them. Bunch <laughs> of extra mouths to feed. So. Yeah, and uh, they live out in the woods, and and uh, the family makes a lot makes a living off mainly foraging. And uh, Bector, I think, specifically becomes a bit of a problem. He is the oldest brother, and he's thinking, "Well, I have the right to everything because I'm the oldest brother. You know me." And he was like, "Um, uh, Temujin." That's a very nice hawk you have there. Yes, I just killed it. Um, it's mine now. Okay, that's kind of sad. Okay, that's a very nice wife you or your dad arranged a marriage for. Okay, I'm taking her too. You did not just do that to me. <laughs> so, uh, Temujin uh, gets together with another of his brothers, I believe... Uh, oh, Hazar. Hazar, and... Because he's famous for being the best archer among the, uh, the lot of them. That makes sense because uh, they shoot Bector uh, about uh, a few minutes later and they shoot him very dead 
and his his mother's a little pissed. So, not, sometime after that, maybe to get himself some space, uh, Chingus ventures out for some more foraging, and he gets a little bit too close to the Taiyuchid camp, I believe, and he gets captured. And this is where I believe they put him in the Kang? Yeah. The Kang, as far as I know, is this uh, very... Uh, an interesting version of cuffing of cuffing your prisoner. Basically, the Y-shaped stick, and the hands are often attached to it by some cuffs, and then there and the Y is and the Y-shaped branch is specifically there so that they can slide another branch over your neck and mm -hmm. keep you in there. So there's a sort of a Qing Dynasty variation, and it's basically just a board. Your hands go through the board, and then there's another hole through your neck. And it's sort of clasped on either side, so you're basically stuck with your uh, arms up, kind of like a fork, uh, sort of held up in that position there. And it's basically impossible to get comfortable in it, and oh. it's an awful, awful. Uh, I can imagine. Thing. I can imagine. It's kind of the. Um, it's kind of the a version of the medieval padlocks, except you can walk with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's about all you can do. <laughs> and obviously, Chinggis is not thrilled. So, or Temujin at this point currently. So he's sitting in the cart with his uh, with his arms in the, and the neck in the king. He's not thrilled. He's very uncomfortable. And he starts talking to his prison guard named uh, Sorkanshira. And Sorkanshira is one of the lower class Taiyuchids. And this is going to be a little bit of a theme later. And he's like, hey, um, I know you don't like your position, Sorkanshira. Yeah, I know. I don't exactly get good pay. I keep on getting snubbed because I'm of lower class. What if I could change that for you in a couple years? How so? What if I give you a higher class job for you and your kids? Because I think you're such a good prison guard. You haven't let me escape yet. Okay, what is the what is the price for this? You bail me out. That's the keyword. And Sorkan Shiro is basically um shit. I'm sold. <laughs> and he bails out Temujin in the dead of night. Helps him escape. And uh, and that and that's basically. And and, and of course, uh, Jingus uh, jots down uh, Sorkan Shira, and he's like. I'm gonna remember this because you won't regret this, dude. I'm totally gonna to come back. Just wait a couple years, because I've got things to do. So he gets um, first his. So he first gets a couple of friends, specifically, I believe, uh, Borchu, because in the time that he was being kidnapped by the Taiyuchids, uh, uh his family's horses got stolen. <laughs> So Borchu helps him get them back, and this is another friend that he's going to keep around. And he is, and then he, of course, goes over to the Merkits because he is reaching his, uh, I believe, adulthood or teenage years. And he goes the young goods, and he's like, "Hey, um, I know I promised to Borte years ago. Can I have her again?" <laughs> and they're like, sure, it's been a while. <laughs> so, and. Well, it's, that's one of those episodes where there's some debate over how uh, 
accurate the secret history is with the chronology here is some people have suggested that when Esugai came and brought Temujin to Borte's family, that they sort of mush it together that Esugai is killed on the way back. And so I have suggested instead that Temujin spent several years with Borte's family and Temujin, or an Esugai was killed later and then uh, Temujin writes back and if there was that longer period of time with them, it would explain, it would make a bit more sense why Borte's family would have left Borte unmarried for a kid she was proposed to for three days before he went missing. <laughs> Makes sense. So, and there'll be a lot of that in the secrets. It gets kind of uh, flexible with chronology mm-hmm. at times. It happens. I mean, this is only written after his death. <laughs> so they couldn't have exactly confirmed it with Chinkas uh, himself. And he also makes another big friend, uh, Onkan, otherwise known as Togirl, who is the leader of the Karyats, who is actually currently the leader of the most powerful tribe in Mongolia. Because the Tatars kind of got on the bad side of the Jin. And they started... In a couple decades after this, they do. Not oh, not yet? Oh, my bad. So 1190s, they do, and that's... Then Togrul and Temujin. That's actually when Togrul gets the title, Onghan. Oh, he's... Uh, right. He's not... Right, right now, Mon knows Win Onghan. <laughs> and... And, uh, and he gets another friend in Jarchiudai? And... Uh, and he gets uh, he gets to sort of honorarily adopt uh, Darchudai's kid Jelma, but and this is all while he's uh, getting his uh, all while he's uh, getting his uh, morning nuptial his his wedding nuptials going, and he specifically uh, befriends uh, Winong Khan because uh, Winong Khan was a friend of Yasugai, and they were apparently uh, blood brothers at some point. And he and, uh, and Temujin is like, I'm going to write a letter to you and uh, give you a, a, a get a letter written to you and this fur coat from apparently my dad and uh, we can be friends and uh, Winong Han slash Togirl accepts obviously, and shortly after that um, he uh, Jingus gets a little bit of a bad news. Um, the, the Americans have shown up on his camp, and uh, they'd like to, uh, and they'd like to send them all running. And uh, everybody runs except for Borte. She was apparently either uh, lost in the escape, or she was, or she deliberately left herself behind. Or, like, or there wasn't enough. I think what it says there uh, wasn't enough horses for Borte. Uh, or no, there was a horse, uh, but. Uh, Temujin took it with him. And it says, I got the translation right here, it says, so let's go through, everyone gets on a horse, Temujin rode one horse, Balloon rode one horse, Hazar rode one horse, Hashiun rode one horse, Temuga rode one horse, Belgatai rode one horse, Borchu rode one horse, Jerma rode one horse. Uh, Balloon had their youngest daughter in front of her, one horse was harnessed as a spare horse, there was no horse left for Lady Borte. Oh, ouch. So some people have suggested, like, this is actually a good indicator for the reliability of the secret history, 
because it looks kind of like what they're trying to say here is Temujin ran away and abandoned his wife, which if this was like pure hagiography, you wouldn't have, you know, written in the 1270s when Chinggis was basically God. Right. You wouldn't be including these sorts of details, which don't actually make them look all that good. Yeah. We're we're, uh, 30 pages into the translation here, and he's kind of gone from defeat to defeat to defeat, and he's we got like another 40 pages of him going from defeat to defeat to defeat before, oh, minor victory. (laughs) Yeah, and Borte... and Borte is, well, stolen by the Americans, and Jinkus is kind of pissed, <laughs> and he is, and he, and he starts, and he sends out messages to his two best friends in the world, uh, Jamuka and Togrel, and he's like, hey, um, my wife got kidnapped, and the Americans did it, and I could do some help getting her back. Or at least killing her before uh, anybody uh, does the thing. <laughs> and uh, Jamuka is like, sure, because we're besties and blood brothers and such, and we've always been that way. And Togro's like, I always honor the requests of my, uh, of uh, essentially my blood uh, nephew. So. They show up, and uh, Togrel and Chinggis are uh, specifically a little late, which kind of pisses out Jamuka. Not enough for them to uh, ruin the raid with the Mer- against the Americans. And they run over to the Americans, and they're wrecking everything. And that's where, of course, they find Borte, who is, who is kind of running out just to see what's going on. And the reunion's happy, but there is a little bit of a problem. She's pregnant. <laughs> with, of course, uh, Jochi. And uh, Jinx is like, I don't know the father. I probably killed him. <laughs> Either that or I'm the father. <laughs> well, actually, they do know. So the husband they married Borpe to was, I think, the brother of Olun's original husband. Oh, that is spiteful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the younger brother, I think. They ha- they do say his name, and they give all the genealogy at some point, but uh, I don't remember Borte's brief American husband's name. <laughs> yeah, so. so they... So they... Uh, keep, uh, so they naturally, uh, so na- so naturally, uh, the Americans are all go are all running off, and uh, and Jochi is basically adopted into the family. And uh, and shortly after this, I think, uh, Chingus is uh, made Han of whatever's left of the Kamahag Mongol Confederacy, which. And this is why he is also rooming with Jamuka in celebration of the return of Borte. And they room together for multiple years before they eventually piss each other off. <laughs> well, it's very vague what happens. It's Jamuka gives Temujin a riddle that he doesn't understand. We don't understand it. And he asks uh, Borte and Olun what he should do, and Borte reminds them. Jean-Luc is very fickle with his friends. 
you know, you're sort of better off getting out of here while you still can. <laughs> and as we see that over the course of the secret history, there's not a lot of people who John Mukut doesn't betray at some point. Yeah. I think he even betrays Togirl, if I remember correctly, right? He's betrayed everyone. <laughs> it's, he's been described, one author described him as a bit of a diva. Oh my! <laughs> and another tribe, uh, no, apparently it was uh, trying to run around the Chingus briefly and trying to get a lie with him. These are the Jerkins. Yep. And they are, and but apparently they uh, run off. With... They, they raid his camp while he is. Um, or hang on, am I confusing that with a later? I think. I think you're skipping ahead a little oh. in the secret history. We gotta talk about Dalajut first. Oh yeah, that's when the friendship officially goes sour. Yes. Well, it's been going sour for a while, but yeah. But, so basically the thing is, uh, Jamukai has been getting the news from uh, whoever he trusts, besides Chingus, that uh, Chingus is getting a lot of power. Not just that he's being made uh, Han of the of whatever's left of the comics, but also that he's promoting people based on merit, like the guy who broke him out of jail, um, who kind of Sorkan Shira and I believe his kid eventually become one of or into Chingus's generals. Yeah, but he does end up he does kill some of Sorkan Shira's sons or grandsons in battle first, I think. They end up submitting to Chingus after uh, the defeat of the Merkit in uh, 1201, I think it is. Oh, wow. That's... At, at Battle of Koyotin. And so he finds uh, Sorkinshire's family afterwards. He's like, oh, I'll give you guys what you want. And he goes, oh, you know, we, we surrendered too late. You already killed my grandsons. So. Yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> yep. And uh, and of course, uh, at, and of course, uh, Jamuka officially says, "Jingus, uh, you're off my friends list, and I'm also going to try to kill you." <laughs> they try Jamuka's uh, cousin or younger brother. I don't remember. The secret history kind of uses cousin and younger brother kind of interchangeably. Jamuka's uh -huh. younger brother slash cousin, Taichar tries to steal horses from one of Temujin's herders, and uh, one of Temujin's herders shoots him with his bow, kills him, but doesn't know who it is at first, and then finds out, oh, I just killed Jamuka's brother. And then Jamuka, I guess, took this as kind of like a act of war, like, all right, you can be Han, you can put herders in control of armies, but you kill my brother, you just crossed the line here, champ. <laughs> and they fight the battle of Dalan Balshut and seventy marches. That's what it means. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, Jamuka's and, and and Jamuka's forces vastly outnumber Chingus's forces, or at least to some extent. And they and and Temujin, and Temujin is absolutely routed by the sheer weight of numbers, and he. As far as I know, uh, disappears a little bit from the uh, disappears a little bit from the historical record for a little bit. It's yeah, it's kind of if if you're taking the secret history's uh, sort of events like all right, 
these events are happening when they happened. Dalan Valjun is occurring about 1186, 1187. Temujin's next like definite appearance is until about 1196, when he attacks the Tatars with uh, Togrul and the Jurchen. Right. So that's about a ten-year period. So where it's there's a couple possibilities. The one is that he just spent ten years slowly building up his power again. And secret history doesn't say anything because it's kind of repetitive. Nothing interesting happens. The other alternative, I don't know who first proposed it, but the idea was popularized in uh, Paul Rachnevsky's famous biography of Chinggis. And he suggests that Chinggis spent all or part of his time in the Jin Dynasty, or sort of on the Jin Dynasty's border, trying to get support. Now, that's not a unique thing. Uh, Toro, every other month, was basically fleeing to someone else to try and get support to get the power. So the theory goes that Temujin went to the Jin Dynasty and spent those years there trying to get support like material assistance or even army, an army to help uh, get him back in power on the step. And when he shows up again in 1196, it's him, Togrul, and a Jurchen army attacking the rebellious Tatars, the former Oh, the, I see. That, that so, makes sense because they do give him a call to actually destroy the Tatars. <laughs> so that, and that's kind of what, if uh, Temujin was actually in the Jin Dynasty or in their territory that would have facilitated that connection and would explain also why they're getting uh, Chinese military titles Togro gets Ong Khan I don't remember what Temujin gets um, interestingly enough it's uh, this actual event is recorded on a Jurchen stone inscription in Inner Mongolia I think uh, so it celebrates this uh, Jurchen defeat of the, the Tsugu, they call it. They call it was a Kitan term for all the Mongolian peoples was Tsugu. Ah. Uh, so, but it's kind of interesting that here we have, that's I think the earliest source outside of the secret history. Or, or no, sorry, that's the only 12th century source confirming uh, a sort of a, a movement of Chinggis Khan, essentially. Everything else comes from the 13th century. Right. And the only, just one last point on that general thing there is, there is one southern Chinese source, so from the Song Dynasty, Ooh. and it says something along the lines of that Chinggis Khan spent 10 years in uh, in prison. Like, oh some variation of that which could be seen as them misinterpreting uh, his time in the Jin Dynasty as oh he was there because he was imprisoned uh, sort of thing that, I don't remember the exact source though who states that so yeah that doesn't surprise me the Song weren't exactly friendly with the Jin either <laughs> oh good heavens <laughs> oh yeah that was a lot of feeling which we're not going to get into. Yeah, that's another hour talking about all of that there, so... <laughs> Easily. And 
Then, of course, uh, Chinggis uh, and Togrul go after the Tatars, and they absolutely wreck them, every, everything. And they basically kill everyone that is male and of fighting age. Or that's, the, that's in 1202 that they do that. 1196 is just a, just a regular defeat of the Tatars. Oh. Because he left it because he comes back in 1202 and then you kill everyone above the linchpin of the. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, and of course the males of fighting age was, is specifically so that you can uh, marry all the girls. <laughs> you take the women, you take the children as slaves, you take all their loot. Now, and we mentioned Shiggy uh, to who earlier. Uh, uh, yes. I think it's. It's going to be this one or 1202. That's when he comes into Genghis Khan's uh, entourage as a either adopted by Olun or adopted by Borte, depending on uh, the source. Makes sense. And uh, I believe Jamka uh, 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 comes back in because, you know, as always, uh, when you betray a friend, you gotta go full into it and actually kill the dude. <laughs> Because apparently uh, Jamuka failed on that last time. <laughs> by a long shot. And he's like, I'm not making that mistake again. But apparently by this point... Uh, but he will. But apparently by this point, he, Jingus has figured out his battle organization. He's put the, the, Mongols, the Mongols and his various allies into units of ten. And... Uh, oh, and, and Jamuka again tries to use his superior numbers currently, but and he also has some a very unhelpful Stormcaller. Yes. Uh, the Stormcaller tries his best, but the weather apparently works like fate and decides to destroy Jamuka's army. So, uh, Jinx is like, easy victory, blue heaven wills it, and, uh, Jamuka's like, I'm gonna have to run again, right? Or well, run for the first time. That, he attacks his, uh, one of the camps of, uh, one of his followers, and loots them. He's like, well, I didn't get anything from this battle, so I might as well go home with something. <laughs> Makes sense. So. And, uh, um, and of course, uh, and, and and after this, I believe uh, Togrul is uh, Togrul's life story is uh, briefly put in there, at least in brief. Like he, like he, like the Karyids were not much like the Mongols before them, and then and he, and of course they record like he got to be blood brothers with. Uh, uh, Yasugai, and they had their good friendship until Yasugai died. Right, and of course, uh, the world gets to be Onhan because now the Tatars don't exist anymore. And uh, and Chinggis uh, offers uh, his son Jochi in marriage to Togro's daughter. And and this uh, apparently does not go over very well. <laughs> Because uh, because apparently uh, Togro got a letter from Jamuka, and Jamuka is like, Togro, Genghis is getting some power, 
He's not going to leave. He's not going to leave you running around anywhere. Trust me on this. Look at me. Well, look what happened to me. And Cobra's son, uh, the Simon Ilka, he's sort of like loses his mind at this because he really wants his father's throne. Oh, and he that's thinks it. if this marriage happens with Temujin and his sister, or sorry, with uh, Juchi and uh, Ong Han's uh, daughter there. Yeah. Then, then Temujin will be Togrul's heir. Right, that's another thing. Have that. And so the one way to get Togrul to do whatever you want was like threaten him with losing his throne. He seems, because at this point here, Togrul's probably about 60, 70 years of age. Right. He's old, he's feeble, uh, feeble. He's lost his uh, decisive ability to act anymore. Right. He's just afraid of losing his throne again. Because there's it's three or four times he gets chased <laughs> off of his throne. In the first place, he had to kill his brothers and fight his uncle to get the throne. Like he's he did not have an easy time of it. So he's just terrified of losing it again. So that leads us to um, he him uh, th- uh, us. Uh, checking Temujin off the friends list and putting and going with Jamuka to try to go after him. And uh, the next battle uh, does not go well for Togrul. And uh, and Togrul is uh, and Togrul is defeated. And and somewhere in the pursuit, I believe uh, he is killed. But this battle is the United Territory in the West, and they don't. The border guard doesn't recognize him as he goes, no, no, this little, like, little old man by himself, that can't be the powerful con of the Karius, and decapitates him. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, the Ong Han. Uh, mistaken identity, indeed. And, oh, but this battle is also a little bit closer than expected because uh, somebody shot Jingus off his horse. And this is specifically a guy by the name of Jeep, who is one of the lower class archers of uh, Togrul's army. And shortly after the battle, Jeep is captured. And uh, Jeep, um, in surprising honesty, basically tells Jingus, Yeah, I kind of shot you off your horse, nearly killed you. And Jingus is like, That's great, you're good at that. Um, thanks. You're going to be my general now. Wait, what? Why was I soldiering for Togrul again? <laughs> I could have gotten a good paying job with Chingus and I was working with the um, with the six-year-old Onghan who's worried about everything. <sighs> I think he says something like, if you let me live, or if you kill me for this, I'll be useless just dead in the ground. But if you let me live, then I can be your arrow. <laughs> well... Yeah, and uh, Chingus accepts that offer, and he continues pursuing after Togrul obviously finds his body, and uh, Jamuka has officially fled to the Naimans, and did not get killed, apparently, by the border guards. And, uh, the, and the Naimans are, like, thinking, well, we're the next power on the steps, but the Mongols are coming for us, and we just took in Jamuka, so we know we've got a lot of problems. So they actually call up whatever allies they might have left, including Alakush and the Onguts, who happen to be Jingus's, uh, I believe, Jingus's uh, mother's family. And they're like, ah, nah, we're not into this. 
Oh, sorry, we've been... Yes, so earlier when I kept saying Ongud, I, I should have been saying Ongurats. Oh, Ongurats, right. They were the... Yes, so on Shingus's southern border, they were actually a... Uh, the Jurchen called them Juyin. So oh. they were kind of uh, border guards for the Jurchen. Ah, yes. Uh, and so the Naiman uh, Khan, or one of the Naiman Khans, because there's two Naiman Khans at this point, he uh, goes, oh, I'll get the Ongud to attack Temujin from his southern flank, and then we'll kind of like a two, uh, two-pronged pincer assault on Temujin's territory. But the Ongud, to hear that, think, hey, probably not great for us because that's probably just going to be Temujin directly attacking us <laughs> so they in fact uh, inform Temujin about this he's pretty appreciative and he marries one of his daughters uh, Alaka Becky I think oh good. Uh, yes so they actually end up in a pretty good position yeah, out of yeah. All that. I uh, could... and it comes in a bit later the young goods are the ones manning the church and, or the Jin Dynasty's uh, border walls, the Great Wall, it was kind of like a ditch and earth and ramps. Uh, so what happens, when everyone likes to go on the internet, oh, Genghis Khan went around the Great Wall of China. Well, actually, no, he married uh, into the family of the people actually uh, <laughs> banning it, and they let him through. <laughs> so he didn't go around it, he went through it. Yeah. Not that there was much Great Wall left, but there you go. <laughs> There's actually, on that Jurchen Dynasty wall, Jin Dynasty wall, there is kind of like the remnants of it left in Inner Mongolia, and it looks like it's like a ditch. Oh, wow. That's all that's left. Because it was just uh, the early walls before the Ming Wall were just right. stamped. So if they're not maintained, wind and rain, it just wears it right down. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Mr. Jackmeister, sir, yeah. um, we have two no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, on, we'll, on, I'll just on. press recording. Okay, okay, yeah, we're about to do the end of the thing, so I wanted to let you know before the end of the hour that we have to record before we start a new hour over to okay. finish the rest of the thing. Just wanted to make sure they didn't go into a, a rant and have, we had to All interrupt right. you. Uh, that doesn't sound like something I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Indeed. you know, because I don't want to interrupt you because what you're saying yeah. is really interesting. So, um... Yeah, I'll let you uh, just, just cut that and, or cut there and... No, 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 uh, it's fine. Well, I mean, because... Well, we're going to start off very soon anyway. So the Naimans... Anyways, back to the story. So the Naimans, uh start uh, preparing and they don't do too much before the Mongols show up and the Mongols are officially defeated. The Merkids, uh, some remnants of the Merkids uh, fled there briefly uh, under the leadership of Toktowa and they, and they also got defeated along with the Naimans and this is where Jamuka officially meets his very ignominious end of a final drinking night with your ex-bestie, where your ex-bestie tries to spare you, and then you just say, just kill me already, all right? <laughs> and, uh, Jingus breaks his back, so needless to say, he is dead. <laughs> In Rashid al-Din's version, uh, Chingus has him cut into little pieces. Oh, yeah. While John was, like, screaming curses at him. So... <laughs> Sounds very much like a Darth Vader-esque transformation. <laughs> you, got, you got kind of two uh, 
most, most people like to name it and stuff. Uh, I'm not going to name it anything. Whatever. So, anyways, uh, we're back. And, um, anyways, uh, so, we just got to Jamaica being executed. And Chingus uh, starts rewarding his allies. For like 20 pages. <laughs> it goes through, it names all 90 people given command to 10,000. Look, he captured a lot. If you're just like reading the secret history for fun, that is, like it's a great section for scholars, but it's just the worst one if you're just reading this because you want to you know, know the story of Genghis Khan and you're like, how many people are in this because he's naming everyone in the army. It's a large uh, army, alright? And he's uh, got a lot of booty to work with. <laughs> but here, so that section, I've always seen this as part of one of the arguments for the secret history is that uh, so I think this is up to chapter 6 mm -hmm. uh, when Jabuka dies and uh he sets out the army. No, be chapter seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Anyways, the point is that those first couple chapters, that those were the original set out section of the secret history. Oh wow! Because what we've just gone through is a sometimes messy but decently cohesive narrative. Like you have to remember, this was written in the twelve hundreds. They didn't go to a screenwriting class here. <laughs> uh, so, but it's telling a cohesive story, something like kind of a Mongolian equivalent of a Arabic or a Muslim uh, mirror for princes, if you're familiar with that genre, sort of. So later rulers could go through, sort of see, all right, this is what Chinggis Khan had to go through. We remember where we came from, but also you've mentioned the herders who were rewarded. And we just get section here where it lists everyone getting uh, their military commands and what their rewards are. They can commit uh, nine crimes before being punished, or for nine generations they are free from punishment or taxation or whatever. Yeah. Think so that this kind of stuff was set out, or was written down, so that the people following could remember basically who was owed what, who was given what, whose family was uh, given this position so that you didn't have someone going four generations down the line and saying, oh, well, Chinggis Han said my grand, uh, that my family doesn't have to pay taxes for nine generations. And you could just go here and go, actually, no, you were given command of a thousand men. Nothing about taxation, right? <laughs> so. Hilarious. And it's sort of, uh, well, that that's why, so the first half of the secret history of the Mongols and its intention was basically as a reminder, writing it down so someone didn't have to go through and remember all those specific details sort of thing. Yeah. Sort of a, a quasi kind of uh, to-do uh, journal almost. You know, writing everything down, or uh, uh, what's the word? I don't remember what I'm trying to say now, but yeah. So that that's sort of the in that theory, that's the core of the secret history of the Mongols, and and so that may have been set out as early as 1228, 1229, following Chinggis Khan's death in 1227. 
Right. Everything after that, we get to it starts discussing the invasion of North China, the Horizon campaigns, uh, death of Chinggis, and uh, a little bit on Argadai. That stylistically, it's very different from the first half. And I'm sure you noticed while reading this, yeah. it goes through at a whirlwind pace. It's yeah. throwing names at you. It's it's like the writer had no idea what was going on. Almost, they just were sat down. All right, we got a list of Chinese places we attacked. Let's put them up. It, it mentions Subaday going east, and it's literally just names. Subaday uh, brought the submission of this person or this tribe, this tribe, this city, this city, this city. This people, uh, and then came back. They was what the hell's going on? All this, uh, the Horsebean campaign. I love this. <laughs> this is a huge, like the most famous campaign of the Mongols of Chinggis Khan. It's reduced to about six pages. Uh, they confuse when it happened. They do remember why it happened, but they confuse the names of the sultans. They mix them together. But it nicks uh, Khorzum Shah Muhammad and his son Jalal al-Din into one person. Uh, <laughs> it remembers somewhat the siege of Urgenj, uh, Jurgenj. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. It's just, uh, what the hell? I don't know. You know uh, people, all, all the important generals from the first half just disappear. They just stop being mentioned. Uh, like it's, the second, if you're reading this for fun, stop when they start listing off who's getting military positions. Because <laughs> you've read the best part of the work. Yeah. So. I can, I can vouch for that. And anyway, so, another aside, as the spoilers are being rewarded, uh, the leader of the Naimans, Tyim, was killed off in the fight, but he had a son by the name of Kuchluk, who managed no, to flee... He managed to flee all the way to the Naiman, uh, to the Kitans. Or rather, the what's Kar- the Karakitai? The That's yeah. And the Karakitai, and as far as I know, I think Tokotoa of the Americans is still in his party, or either killed off. It's one of those two. Yeah, he, there's a fight on the Irtish River in 1208 uh, with sort of a bunch of the remaining Americans. Tokotoa, uh, Huchluk of the Naiman, and then Huchluk's uncle Boyuruk who was uh, Taeyong's brother, but they had a fight basically as soon as their father died and sort of split up. So mm-hmm. through all of that fighting, at different times, Buyuruk and Taeyong would be fighting Chinggis, but never at the same time. Oh, ouch. So on the Irtish River in 1208, that's kind of that's the final stand. Even By then, Chinggis Han's victory is... Uh, you, you can't do anything about it. He's won. <laughs> but this is kind of your fight. Now he's chasing you guys out of Mongolia. Uh, the Irtish River, for those of you who don't have the geography of Central Asia memorized, that's not even in Mongolia. That's on the uh, west side of the Altai Mountains in sort of modern eastern Kazakhstan, Russia. Oh, wow. That's uh, northwestern China. Uh, so they're defeated there. Uh, Toktor is killed shortly before or after that. I don't actually... I anyway, Well, he's killed about that time. The, the timeline for all of this, that area is very messy. Yeah. But Boyeruk's killed. Uh, Toktua's sons flee to the Kiptrak way in the west. Oh, wow. 
and uh, Hutchluk flees first to the Uyghurs. Uh, the Uyghurs chase him off, <laughs> uh, and that actually helps facilitate their entrance into the Mongol Mongol Empire. Right. Uh, he spends Hutchluk spends some time with the Karluks around Almalik. Uh, they chase him off because he was just attacking their own territory. Finally ends up in Karakatai. The Karakatam Gurhan uh, gives him titles, money, gives him uh, one of his daughters in marriage. And then he betrays him. <laughs> Two years later, he's conspiring with the Khorizm Shah Muhammad, betrays the Gurhan, captures him. The Gurhan spends his final two years in prison and Hutchluk sort of is hanging on to a fragmenting state up until Seth G comes along and deposes of him. Yep. In 12, 12, 19, I think, is when Hutchluk dies. Yep. And, uh, and apparently while they're organizing the spoils of the victory over uh, the Naimans, uh, a, uh, a rather young Tatar by the name of Kargil Shara tries to kidnap Ptolemy. This does not go well, even though he manages to go around the Ptolemy's bodyguards and overpower Hulun. And uh, because uh, one, Jing one Jingus's daughters uh, shows up on him, and she is Altani, she's about 14, and in one of the most badass female acts of Mongol history, uh, she grabs him by the hair and absolutely whoops his ass. And uh, he is obviously, uh, and he is obviously uh, captured and, and and killed very soon after that. And I believe uh, this is also, um, and, and I believe that as this is going on, they're also. Uh, there's also subjugating some of the forest people of like Western Mongolia getting closer to like the stands and also um, showing up on North China and absolutely wrecking everything the Jin owns and loves yeah. <laughs> yeah I got that chapter up in chapter 11 after that in the year of the sheep 1211 Chinggis Han set out against the Kitat people the northern Chinese and it's it's just immediately just listing. There's an interesting discussion of Jev of Jev uh, orchestrating a feigned retreat, but then yeah, it's just launching the attack on Chengdu. He sent troops to various towns and cities, ordering them to attack. He sent Jev to attack the city of Dongcheng. Jev mm -hmm. reached the city. Uh, oh, there's another feigned retreat, and it's just they're sieging cities. Uh, actually. Uh, there's a bit of detail. It's not this initial attack on the Jin's not as bad as the Horizmian campaign description, but it still ends up just being lots of, and then they went here, and, and then they went here, <laughs> and uh, oh, here's a big description of what they're giving us. Uh, our soil. Yeah. <laughs> you can see they're very... See, I've always... When I've read this, I've always figured that everything past 1206, that's written, like, decades afterwards. And so they're trying to remember 
stopped by campaigns that they took very poor details on in the first place. And so they just end up like, ah, uh, well, I think they went into Manchuria then. Uh, I think I think we must have sent an army south at some point, right? <laughs> uh, like the the city names are uh, garbled. There's a lot of if when you read uh, D. Rachel Wiltz's translation here, or like his notes and stuff, there's a lot of like unidentified. Unidentified, uh, yeah. But sort of, well, the early, these uh, early campaign stuff is them attacking China, and some 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 of the minor details are interesting. But honestly, the most interesting one the thing that happens next in the Secret History's chronology is just before the invasion of Khorasan, when they're deciding who should be the successor to Chinggis Khan. Oh, and yes. we have this big confrontation with Juchi, Chagatai, and of course settle on Ergodai as uh, heir. Alright, so the Chengdu get wrecked, uh, so Chengdu gets sacked, and that's eventually going to become Beijing later. And the last uh, Jin em- and the last Jin Emperor, at least as of late, uh, flees south uh, to Kaifeng. And he managed, and the Jin managed narrowly outlive Chinggis, not for too long though. And uh, and uh, and another uh, conquest that is also happening right around the time is, or at least subjugation of sorts, is the Tanguts. They, after a brief fight, uh, they quickly submit to Chinggis. And uh, and of and Chinggis's sons, as far as I know, are also um, being. Are also being praised at for their good service at this point, especially I believe uh, uh, to- uh, Tolui and Jochi, which is probably going to be important for later. But while they are sacking Zhongdu, they get a bit of bad news that uh, Kuchlug is all the way in Karakitai, and he's basically saying, "I'm ready to fight you, Chinggis." And uh, Chinggis is like, ah, I'll go after him in just a hot second. And uh, sends uh, a couple of his generals after him. And while they're going, th- and while he and his generals are going through there, they, they go, they uh, start going through some of the uh, forest peoples that, uh, that Kuchlu kept on just traveling through and not being good guests with. Like, uh, for example, I believe the Uyghurs and uh, the uh, and uh, the Karluks, and they and they of course and uh, and everything is and uh, the and the Kar- and all the people who turn to his side as he and they make the right to the Karakitai. Uh, get some marriages with uh, Genghis's daughters, such as uh, Arslan uh, of the Karluks uh, marrying Tolai, and uh, and at this point, I believe uh, Sorkan Shira gets uh, married lands, and there is a little bit of praise for some of the night guards, and eventually they get all the way to the Karakitai, who are led by Kuchluk at this point, or rather, what's left of it. And they and the Karakitai 
Turns out, surprise twist, they were not ready for the Mongols because Kuchlug got wrecked. And Kuchlug is killed relatively shortly thereafter and the and the and the Uyghurs, uh, and the Uyghurs' leader, the Inukit, uh, becomes known as the fifth son of Genghis, and gets married to another one of Genghis's daughters, I believe, uh, Al Altai. Uh, I don't remember his. There's a lot. <laughs> it's it's somewhere, but I don't know his because his daughters. We kind of only have information about them, sort of like their names. Who they got married to. There's a bit more. Al- Alakabeki, the one who marries to the Onguts. We have a bit more on her, but the others are kind of. Mystery? Uh, yeah. I, he, his first child with Borte was actually a daughter, and I think that was. Alakai? Was that Alakai back? Maybe Cheche Yegan? I no, think Cheche Yegan is, is his youngest daughter. What's this? Oh, well, yeah. We'll see, so. I don't off the top. I know it's written down somewhere, but I don't know off the top of my uh, because it's like, oh, you know what order his daughters are. That's great. That's about all you can say about his daughters. Uh, most of his daughters, it's yeah. You well, can tell where the interest of the historical authors lie. Yeah, so it's kinda, you get these interesting little threads, and it's like, well, but that's all it is is a thread. You can't tug on that. There's no more information that are going to fall out of. Yeah. Uh, some of these trees. Yeah. The and actually speaking of Teshe again, uh, the Orads are also joining in right around this time, and this is when they get their marriage alliance in the form of uh, Genghis's daughter Teshe again, and she marries their chief uh, Inalchi. And uh, and and what and what and while one and I believe one of his generals, they try to go up against uh, Quartzi Noyan. And Kuduka Becky and no, it, it, no, it, it, no, it, his he sends his generals Korsi Noyan and Kuduka Becky, and they get defeated by the two mats. And then Chingus uh, goes in personally because he's kind of pissed, and he wins. And he distributes the two mats to his friends and family. And and, and then after and, and then and then shortly after this uh, the. Chinggis has finished off all the Karakita and he's right on the borders of the Khorizm Empire and he's like, you know, I don't want to conquer the Khorizmids if I have to. So I might as well trade with them. So he sends a diplomatic mission to the Khorizmids, to, to the which is received at Urgench by, by the governor of Urgench and the governor, who is also related to Muhammad Shah, and is not trusting of the Mongols because look at what they did to all their neighbors, especially the Karakitai that the Khorizmids so recently sort of trusted. <laughs> so the Karakitans had been the uh, nominal overlords of the right. Khorizmians up until, well, um, I don't remember what the official breakage, but under Shah Muhammad, Khorizm Shah, he kind of... They're all, the Khorizmians are also kind of those chronic backstabbing sort of lots. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of them trying to get out from Karakitan control. Yeah. And 
to simplify things, Shah Muhammad really mucked up that relationship. But it was it was tense, but well, not stable, but it it was tense. And then Hutchlu came in was sort of like a third factor in here. Yeah. And of course, he uh, captures uh, the final Gurkha and Shulugu. And then essentially Shah Muhammad and Hutchlug break up uh, the Karakatai Empire between the two of them. <laughs> and probably they were going to go to war if left to their own devices for longer. Uh, but uh, Hutchlug wasn't going to have a very long reign. But he was pissing people off. He was. Uh, when the Mongol forces actually entered some of Hutchlug's eastern territory, uh, they were Muslims, and they greeted the Mongols as liberators because Hutchlug right. took such like a violent uh, brand of... He was originally a Christian, a Nestorian Christian, but then he became a uh, Buddhist. Right. And was just like persecuting Muslims. Uh, he apparently nailed a a uh, imam to the door of his own madrasa. Oof! <laughs> uh, yeah, he was terrible. So the Mongols showed up and they were greeted as liberators. Uh, so if the Khorizmi, if the Mongols didn't kill Hutchluk, if the Khorizmians didn't kill Hutchluk, somebody's going to. It was going to. So, and then the Mongols and Khorizmians would have been neighbors anyways at some points just by process of gobbling up that uh, power vacuum. Yeah, and speaking of that, and speaking of uh, of them being next to each other, the training mission does not go very well. In fact, uh, they get imprisoned, and some and some of the training mission is killed. Whatever is left of it goes straight back to Genghis, and they're like, um, the Khorasanids are not training with us, and they killed a bunch of us. And Genghis is like, well. Um, you heard what's up to my trading party to war. Well, wait, wait. But before that, he actually sent another round. Right, of <laughs> right. I forgot about that. A lot of people miss that out, and they think, "Oh, she just wanted to attack Horizon." He was actively trying. Like he just wanted those economic ties. He was actively trying to avoid having to pick up all of his armies, start another invasion, while still dealing with all of China. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can't say I blame him. When those on, one of those envoys is killed, and the other two are sent back with like their beards cut off. <laughs> and that's the official declaration. Right, uh, and this is around I believe twelve nineteen, and Chinggis uh, hits the and Chinggis hits the Khorasanids really hard. It starts out, re it actually starts out relatively minor, a couple raids here and there, and this sort of leads I believe the Khorasanids into this false sense of security. They, they're thinking, we can deal with these raids, it's not too much, we're not losing too much. And then suddenly, the Mongols are outside of Urgench and besieging it. And with everything, and they're just way too powerful for the Khorasanids to do anything. And Urgench, of course, gets wrecked because you know how well it treats actual Mongols whenever they come in peacefully. And they find the governor of Urgench, and Needless to say, the and the, uh, and the governor of Urgens tries to negotiate maybe just a small bit, but Genghis is like, I'm through with you. In fact, I'm so through with you, um, I'm taking some molten silver and shoving it down your throat. Is that actually in the, uh, the, the molten silver and the, uh, 
governor's throat. Is that in the secret history or is that another? I don't exactly I know. I just know that it comes from there eventually. I think it's uh, in Juvani because I don't. Yeah, think that makes that sense. Juvani is a bit more detailed than Uh It doesn't uh, mention much on. Right. The, you know, I'm just scrolling through the relevant chapter here. But but anyways anyways so. Urgench has fallen. Uh, well, the Khorasmian Empire falls. Right. The Khorasmian. In a very abbreviated uh, coverage in the secret history here, it's uh. Our most famous campaign dealt away in about four or five pages. Yeah, and they, of course, and everything, and then Samarkand is also wrecked, and 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 Shah Muhammad and Jalaluddin are basically fleeing with whatever's left of the army, and while they're fleeing, Jochi, Chagatai, and Ogde managed to capture another city. But then they can't agree on who gets what part of its sacking, and uh, and then of course Jinga uh, sleeps in between, figures out the rest, and that's and they're all scolded because they are fighting over what's left of something when they should be united together because they're Mongols and of course his sons, and this is apparently over. Oh, here's the city's name: Urungetsi. I believe. Oh, so that's that's the Mongol form of Urgench. Oh, Urgench. Or Jurgench there. Ah. So. And uh, Jalaluddin uh, and, and Jalaluddin is actually uh, per, is uh, is right up around here, and he actually uh, manages to rally some forces when uh, Jinga sends his forces against him, led by Sigikutuku. Of course, the possible author of the secret history, and uh, Jaladin manages to defeat him. But then, overwhelming Mongol numbers and a little bit of quarrels lead uh, Jaladin to flee all the way to India. And after that, uh, Chinggis turns around because uh, apparently somebody then sent troops to help him on the Khorasmid campaign. That being the Tanguts. And Chinggis uh, turns around, and as he's uh, going that way, or either that or on a hunting trip, uh, he falls off a horse. And that's usually Mongol folklore for bad things are coming. Thankfully, Chinggis has planned for a succession, and Jing but Chinggis is sort of either dying or already dead. As, he, as they reach the Tanguts, and the Tanguts get royally wrecked. Every every city of theirs is sacked. They try they try a last ditch effort of breaking all the dikes on the rivers to try to flood out the Mongols, and the Mongols just don't care. They take everything and they kill the entire Tangut royal family and incorporate the Tanguts into the empire. And one of Jinx's wives, uh, yes, so he gets the Tanguts, and this is where, of course, the inheritance is split up before the brothers can even think about killing each other, which of course they think about and eventually do. And uh, Okadaya, of course, ascends. And, 
and he becomes a new Han. And in the meantime, a Subaday is uh, is campaigning a bit closer to the Volga, but he's having a little bit of trouble with, I believe, the Kipchaks. And oh, and Ogaday and the other and, and the other Genghis heirs uh, send their various eldest sons to help, such as Ba to. Uh, I believe a much younger Kuyuk and so on. And Ogude briefly gets sick but then recovers and then they wreck up whatever's left of the gene. But in the meantime, on Another important death sort of happens, I believe around 1230, 1234-ish. Um, Tolui actually dies. Mm-hmm. He goes, he's either poisoned or he wanders out of his tent in a drunken stupor and collapses. <laughs> well, the secret history's ver- the official version is that he uh, gives his life, or uh, the shaman has to basically commit suicide in exchange, sort of, his soul for the Khan's soul to appease the spirits. <laughs> uh, the non secret history sources totally drunk himself to death. You can probably read between the lines there and think which one uh, <laughs> records it a bit more accurately. Yeah. And also, I believe at this time the Bakhtats are subjugated. And I also think uh, right around this time uh, they come across, uh, uh, I come across, I believe, uh, the Teb Tengari story, as far as I know. Or that's. Um, or is that just later that's chapter? Early, that's early. Early like 12, about 1206, 1207. Oh, right, when Genghis oh, yeah, was very much alive. Oh, then I should probably cover it real quick here. So anyways, uh, sorry if I'm wandering in the timeline again. <laughs> so anyways, uh, Teb Tengri is a shaman in service to Genghis, and he is the fourth son of Monglik, a another general of Genghis somewhere in there. And, uh, and actually, Monglik is the one who marries Ulun after uh, Oh. So, so Tengri is the shaman, and also Chingus's stepbrother. Stepbrother, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and he and Tengri, I believe, has a, another kid, uh, Aka Kokuchu, who also has seven sons. And they and they kind of beat up Hazar, uh, one of Chingus's brothers, and uh, Hazar, of course, complains and. Uh, Teb Tengri, in order to appease Hazar, or at least what he thinks might appease Hazar, he prop he makes up a prophecy that Hazar will actually succeed Chinggis. And uh, Chinggis is like thinking, maybe I should kill him, maybe I should not, I'm not sure. And Hulun actually gets wind of this, and she walks straight up to Chinggis and she's like, Don't you dare kill another one of my kids! <laughs> Don't you dare! And Jinx is like, sorry, Hazar, um, I'm not killing you. We're friends again. Is that cool? We're cool. And But some of the people actually believe Ted Tengri. Uh, so naturally, Jinx uh, is thinking, we'll, we have to break Ted Tengri's power before anything else goes wrong. So naturally, he's challenged to a wrestling match because that's all Mongol settle things sometimes. And... No, apparently, and Tep Tengri is a bit hyped up for this. He's reasonably fit. But Chingus, of course, rigged the match. And when I mean rigged the match, he said three professional wrestlers on Tep Tengri. 
and uh, Ted Tengri is wrecked, and his back is broken, and he dies very shortly thereafter. And uh, Monglik is apparently scolded for not uh, teaching his son the right things, and the family is uh, discredited. Of course, this is right around the time that the Imperial Guard and the Empire swarmed, and that's basically the end of te the Teb Tengri story. And the end of Teb Tengri. <laughs> yes, very big end with a very broken back. Anyways, and after Toli dies, uh, another people, the Bakhtats, are subjugated. And the Kipchaks are officially wrecked with uh, Batu, I believe, gained the credit. And, uh, and Guyuk isn't well-liked by Batu. This might just be uh, foreshadowing for Guyuk. Or, um, I believe, at the, or just because Guyuk is a little young. But either way, it's all—it's all done. The—it's all done. The Kipchaks are partly subjugated, at least, and Ugade continues to rule. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of the uh, how the secret history covers the Great Western Invasion, which ends up in Hungary. Yeah. And you can see it's kind of a—it's kind of a feeling out there because Hungary doesn't exactly stay very long in the Mongol Empire. Oh, it's twelve. Uh, they they crossed the Carpathians in winter twelve forty. Yeah. And er, yes, winter twelve forty, and they leave cross back over to Carpathians to leave in summer or autumn twelve forty two. Ah, yeah. Although some, they stay a bit like that's not the end of Mongol influence in the era, but there's no lengthy occupation. Yeah, there is no occupation of Hungary. And and after that, I think it, as far as I know, the secret history officially uh, leaves off here, and uh, we get to this next part of this. I believe uh, the s second part of this podcast, which I like to call uh, Juveni over here, <laughs> and uh, Juveni is and Juveni is actually an official uh, who starts around the 1250s on, and he serves one of uh, Genghis's uh, future grandsons, Hulegu who is the Ilhan and they were and his fam and Juveni and his family were uh, uh, judges of one of the four schools of Sunni law uh, specifically I believe the Shafi and the, and the Shafi specifically based all of his legal rhetoric off of the Qurans, the various hadiths, the various quotes of the prophets, and the and the Ijma. Hope I'm not butchering that too much. Which is basically like the sayings and quotes of some of Muhammad's closest companions, because Muhammad is the founder of the religion of Islam, and. And then, and it's also apparently based off of some of the other stuff, which includes um, the Ishatli Jihad and the Kias. And and the Kias is specifically a little bit more analogy. And uh, Juvani apparently received some education, of course, as befitting his family, uh, at Nizamiya College and. His uh, sons Hurun and Baha al Din were, uh, were, of course, uh, art patrons. 
and and that's with uh, and that's at least my briefing on the Giovanni's life because I because uh, be, just as I was uh, communicating with Jackmeister here uh, Jackmeister showed me a very good article by uh, Christopher Atwood and this is specifically about uh, how Giovanni, how the friendship of Jamuka and Genghis actually connects to Alexander and Darius. So before I go in, um, so Alexander the Great is of course uh, the king of Macedonia, and he is one of these like first really great world conquerors. And he and he and he defeats Darius the Third, last of the Achaemenid kings of Persia. And there is of course a very famous last meeting between the two before uh, Darius dies. And uh, apparently, uh, Atwood makes the m makes the conclusion that uh, Jamuka and Chingus is uh, last seen as loosely based off of this scene, at least loosely. And of course, there is an argument, at least from when I <laughs> there's at least an argument there for that because there are of course many scenes between Jamuka and Chingus, and and some of these are of course exclusive to the secret history. Um, and and as far as I know, Jamka isn't well mentioned in like Giovanni, and I've read Rashid Al Din, so I'll not confirm with Rashid Al Din on that. Uh, no, he is in Rashid Al Din, uh, but um, Giovanni's coverage of uh, the first sixty years of Chinggis's life is like very fast forward. Three, Three very broad paragraphs. I don't think there's any mention of Jean Mouka in uh, in Juvani. Right. But of course, Shidaldin was actually using, uh, if not the secret history, then uh, the Alta Depter. Yeah. And he had uh, a quite a high-ranking, knowledgeable Mongol. Uh, was his name Bolag Chingseng, I think, as sort of his informants for a lot of that kind of uh, stuff. So Rashid's uh, much better educated on that yeah. earlier stuff than Juvani is. But yes, Jamuka is not just uh, made up by a secret history, but his role in the secret history is much larger and more detailed than it is in any other. Sorry, now that could just be because the secret history is also the most detailed source on this period. Uh, and as a result, everyone gets more detail. But uh, Jean-Luc's appearance in Rashid al-Din, at least, is uh, much more of a minor role. Like, he's still kind of conniving instead of uh, full-on diva <laughs> that he kind of appears as in the secret history. Yeah, a lot of the stuff in the secret history, of course, uh, is basically him warning everyone about Genghis Khan and then apparently trying to uh, smooth things out with Genghis and not it's him betraying stuff. But And apparently, as far as I know, according to Atwood, uh, Jamuka is also nicer in the secret history than in Rashid al-Din's uh, history. And apparently, like, he... Apparently, like, he... Like, in secret history, he actually executes fewer of Genghis's followers after the Battle of Dalam Baljut. And in the last scene in the secret history, uh, 
And Genghis is like, hey, I want to rule with Jamukai at my side. And this is, uh, this actually works with a little bit of a step tradition as far as I know, that often there are two monarchs of the same tribe, with one leading the East Wing and one leading the West Wing. This is also done in like the secret in the in the second in the second Mongol Empire that I mentioned the last podcast with Jack Meister, and also it is as far as I know known to Hunnic folklore when the kingdom when the Hunnic kingdom is split between Attila and Bleda very briefly, but uh, Jamuka is and Jamuka is also mentioned as being buried properly in secret history, and of course Rashid al Din had him. Uh, very much uh, quartered and divided up, yeah, like he's. Uh, pieces. But according to secret history as well, uh, there's a lot of the battles there, where before the end of the battle, Jabuka holds back Tulgrul from uh, putting in the final assault, or sends a messenger to Temujin, uh, alerting him of someone's plans. Like it's kind of like enough of that kind of stuff that some people have argued that the whole thing was a plot by Temujin and Jamuka for ultimate control, and Temujin ultimately betrays Jamuka at the end. Uh, a little too much of a conspiracy for uh, uh, for me. I don't. I don't think they were quite that organized, but makes sense. You could it? you could just argue based on what taking the secret history at face value that they both had took the Ando relationship seriously enough. That this was Jamuka's uh, sincere uh, concern for his friends, preventing him from ever being able to deliver the final blow. Oh, wow. He was so conniving that he kept thinking, hey, Temujin might still be useful to me, so I'll sort of leave him as this uh, ace up my sleeve in case things go poorly with uh, the rest of these guys. <laughs> and he ultimately chose the worst of both worlds. And got killed uh, there. And of course, this is, um, and to some extent, I believe that this is also described as being similar to uh, Chinggis. This is feuding with uh, Bector, or some, or the feuding between uh, Chinggis's kids. By the way, back to uh, Alexander the Great here, because Atwood uh, covers Alexander pretty obviously because he wants to make the connection between the two famous stories. Because a short version, so the so. So Alexander the Great, King of Macedon, he wants to conquer the Persian Empire, he does most of it, and then Darius is forced to flee after Alexander's arguably greatest victory at Gagamela. And as Darius is fleeing from Alexander's latest victory, he actually gets killed by two of his satraps named Ariobarzanes and Bestus, who also happen to be his in-laws. So, wow, your family's really loyal, eh, Darius? <laughs> To be fair, uh, considering that Darius had fled from Alexander twice by this point, very few people trusted him at this point. <laughs> and, and, and Darius is uh, left dying, and Alexander shows up, shows up to try to catch Darius, possibly, kill, possibly trying to kill him, possibly trying to put him into some sort of a subordinate position. And... And of course, and of course, uh, and then Alexander uh, gives Darius some water at Darius's request, and Darius uh, signs away all his rights to the Persian throne and gives it to Alexander, along with 
uh, marriage, along with Alexander's marriage rights to, I believe, uh, his daughter, Roxanne. Very convenient for a guy wanting to justify his control over the Empire, eh? <laughs> This oh, is... Just before he died, he said I could have it all. <laughs> his words, not mine. Well, to be fair, Alexander also had all the resources of the Persian Empire against uh, Bessus. And so Bessus was not going to win anytime soon. And... And uh, Bessus, uh, and Bessus is briefly reigns as Artaxerxes, I believe, the fifth. And they were killed, but that's before uh, Alexander wrecks them, and they are executed as traitors. And this is a very uh, familiar and popular story in Central Asia because Alexander kind of becomes a noble legend in in the in Central Asia, sort of like how Attila becomes a legend to the Germanic peoples. Yeah, and in Persian tradition too, Shah Muhammad of the Khwarezmian Empire uh, took a title that was like the second Alexander after uh, one of his victories, but I think he even had it on his coins, but I'm not too sure about that, but was basically styling himself, oh, I am the second Alexander the Great, the second the coming of Yeah. So that's Juvani no, mentions that, if I remember correctly. So, oh, yeah, like he does, yeah. Years. Yeah, so. Yeah, and this is, and, and of course, uh, and of course, uh, this is, pro and this, of course, is probably a little bit of, a bit more of a, uh, where Atwood goes into comparison. There's, of course, the rivalry between the two, uh, between the two leaders. And then finally, when one is defeated, one offers friendship. But of course, uh, sort of like Harry Potter, neither can live while the other survives. So, that, and of course, the Mongols were available for encountering this story because it was famous throughout Central Asia. And they conquered the Khwarezmites who have kept those records specifically. And I believe this is, and they would have likely encountered this through the Shanama, one of the uh, earlier sources on the Persian, sh on the various Persian shahs. Well, the Mongols were also the first ones to illustrate the Shahnama, and there, so there are illustrations in the Shahnama uh, portraying the Alexander story, oh. where Alexander the Great is shown as a Mongol wearing <laughs> Mongolian-style armor. So, wow! At least there's an occasion where Alexander was uh, Mongol, but he, even then, I. I don't remember if this was something Atwood said or not, but the Alexander story could have traveled all the way to Mongolia prior to the 13th century. It's no less likely than uh, several of the tribes in Mongolia becoming Christian oh, in wow. the 11th and 12th century. I so, believe the Chinese were familiar with it too because they had trade connections with the Greeks going very far back. So, so it's, you know, a uh, a whole tribes converting to Christianity is less likely than a single story uh, going all the way to Mongolia. And, you know, they're a warrior culture. They like stories about conquerors. You get told a romantic, well, yeah, romantic sto romanticized story of these two conquerors, sworn brothers, you know, one final dramatic meeting. <laughs> yeah, sure, Dave. Why not? But it's an interesting. I personally, I'm not like 
I don't really see it as quite the the stand-in that Atwood, like, I, I, I see where he's coming from, but I'm personally not wholly convinced on his uh, argument there, but... Yeah, I'm kind of uh, around the same position, like, because I encountered something very similar when uh, I went through, I believe, uh, uh, the hit, uh, um, I believe, uh, it was uh, Carrier's Us, uh, the, his, uh, the Historicity of Jesus. Mm. I encountered that because my dad was getting the atheism and he was trying to figure out some of the books and stuff. And I, I read it that out of interest, also so, da- also so dad could shut up about trying to get me to read it. And it was interesting, and I was like, I understand where you're coming from, but no. <laughs> Jesus existed, I'm sure of it. <laughs> I can check. And, and Yeah, and I think with uh, this format, too, of the, oh, it's like the Darius and Alexander sort of style meeting, is that it's not that hard a format to come across sort of out of your own storytelling tradition. Oh, yeah. You know, the, two, the two sworn enemies having sort of one final meeting, one's pledging his loyalty, but has to be killed for... Uh, whatever reason like it's not I don't see that being so unique that it has to be from the Alexander romances yeah you know like I yeah you know they want to romanticize for, and you end up with you know pe- people like the better story yeah. essentially yeah so and they're of course uh, talking about some of the various marriage alliances that are running around, like one of Ptolemy, like one of Ptolemy marrying, uh, I believe, uh, the uh, uh, the daughter of uh, Drilchidai. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. And that is specifically the clan leader of the Urungus. And but the story is possibly also theorized as coming from Chinggis because he's trying to justify. Um, him taking over from Jamuka, who was one of, of course, one of the big shot leaders of the Mongols, because he, Genghis was not necessarily upper class. He didn't exactly have he didn't exactly have the sort of claims that everybody else before him did because of his lineage. Uh, he well, yeah, he was good lineage, but not his lineage is worth more than he actually was to start. Right. At least. Because it's also been argued that the whole lineage was fabricated or enhanced to sort of make his claim to fame as, or his claim to legitimacy as the heir to the Hamak Mongol uh, more legitimate. Right. Uh, but because officially he had this descent, uh, but he wasn't like any kind of wealthy, uh, mm-hmm. like power base he was working off of to start with. Mm-hmm. So he had the blood, he just didn't have the money, yeah. uh, essentially. Yeah, and then of course there is the fact that probably as you like many things, uh, the secret history is drawn on multiple Eastern legends. Not going to specify because we got to keep on moving. And I guess it could, and of course that's where uh, uh, Atwood's article ends and. I guess we can get all the way officially to Juvani. Well, I'm going to have to stop you there because it's getting dark here and I actually have to go uh, 
set my horses in for the night. Oh, yeah. Please yeah. go do that. Don't yeah. leave them out to uh, freeze. Wait, wait, wait. It's, you uh, have horses? Yes. <laughs> too old. Aww. Too old, guys. But it's uh, it's going to be getting down to minus 25 or something Celsius tonight. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Cold. Uh, very cold. It's cold in Fahrenheit. Very, very cold. So, uh... It's good to get them into stalls uh, now sooner than later. So, uh, and it's like black outside now too. So, yeah, it, or, uh, the orbit of the Earth. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's yeah. cold. Sometimes it likes to remind us that. Uh, sometimes the climate likes to remind me that I'm in Canada. <laughs> oh, I dropped down to minus twenty for a week. Is that? Like minus eight or something in Fahrenheit? I don't know. Is minus eight cold in Fahrenheit? Oh, uh, very cold. Yeah, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me, let me. Uh, okay. Well, that's not how you spell Celsius. Celsius. Okay, whatever. Let's go for that because I also don't know how to spell Fahrenheit. <laughs> F-A-H-R-E-N-H-E-I. Negative 20 Celsius is about negative 4 Fahrenheit, so that's, you know, about you... as cold as it gets here. We can get is more than that. Is it zero the same? Uh, Celsius and Fahrenheit? No, it's, uh, it's so like zero oh, degrees Celsius is 200. It is zero like, uh, degrees uh, Celsius is 32. 32, right. What's how the hell do you... Yeah, I know. I hate it too. Fahrenheit doesn't make any sense to. It I know. I'm not a fan of the American so system someone either. Tells you, oh, it's a hundred degrees out. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I've been wanting to switch over to the metric for a while. But anyways, I think we're gonna all let you go and get your horses, and yes. uh, we'll we'll have to finish up on Javania another time. <laughs> That was lots of fun, guys. I lots of, yeah. always love talking about the, the secret history. So, uh, all right, then. I'll let you guys get away, because I have to get away. So Yeah, tell your horses hi for me. <laughs> I will. They're going to be so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, just so in future, um, if you just contact me on the Facebook Messenger, that's probably easiest, because... Right. Yeah, I only get. See, I only. It doesn't send me notifications like on the main screen for Gmail. Like I have to actually manually open up Gmail. Oh yeah. So if I forget to do that, then I never see it until I. And for whatever reason, too, with a couple of your emails now, it's not sent to the primary folder. It's sent it to promotions, (laughs) which. I don't know about you, but I don't tend to go out of my way to look at the ads that are being sent to my... Uh, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> no. So, but anyways... Uh, yeah, so, so just do that in future. Contact the... Uh, yeah, the official uh, page. Facebook page, because then I'll see it right away. And, I'm re- and I should probably preface, too, I'm just bad at responding to everyone in general. <laughs> like, if I don't respond immediately, it's, like, out of my head for... Oh, right. I gotta respond to that. But, uh, yeah. So that was fun. Uh, we'll be in touch then. And, yeah. Alright. Pleasure talking to you guys. Bye, my dude. Bye.
Take care. Yeah, you as well. Mm-hmm. See you later. Bye. See ya. So, I think I'm going to uh, actually probably put uh, Giovanni over on to the next podcast because, wow, that took a long time. It did. That's two hours now. Yeah, that's our longest podcast so far. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to get even longer considering that Giovanni is like 800 pages. But anyways, yeah. so before we go, um, I'm going to put in, uh, of course, a bunch of the plugs, which are going to be in the description. Obviously, follow Jack Meister at his YouTube channel, mm-hmm. if you aren't already. And, of course, follow me. Um, tweet me at YoungBards101. And also, uh, I have my own Facebook page, obviously. And uh, Robin also uh, has a Tumblr, mm-hmm. and uh, so do I. <laughs> so follow us both, obviously. Woo-hoo. We also have a Patreon, and uh, each uh, Patreon tier is actually uh, named after the legitimate sons of Chingus, because keep in mind, he also had a bunch of illegitimate mm-hmm. ones. So the I'm just going to quickly rattle off the tiers here, so going from uh, reverse order, so the... The totally tier uh, gets a shout out and in the it gets a shout out in the podcast and of course and, and and some early access or whenever or that's gonna happen whenever I get patrons and and then of course uh, and, and then there's uh, Ogadai and this is also a bit uh, this is the Ogadai tier and you get of course that and. Uh, voting uh, 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 voting privileges in our polls whenever I come up with them and whenever I get patrons and um, and every and probably once a month I'll try to pick out a patron for whom I write a short story for and then of course there's the ten dollar tier that's Chagatai uh, the Chagatais get of course all of the previous privileges and after that they also get the they also get to make the polls, make some polls that they want to, and uh, of course, uh, subscribe to our uh, my YouTube channel at Samwise J Morgan Sir. And uh, you've been listening to the Mongols podcast. Um, bye from me and uh, Bizubi. That has been the Mongols podcast. This is the Mod- Mongols podcast exit song that I'm singing now, even <laughs> though I've butchered. Mongols as a word like twice already but I have corn nuts in my mouth so oh well uh, do 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 alright and um bye <laughs>